welcome to Social PR Secrets, the podcast. My name is Lisa Beyer, and I will be your host. Today's guest is Jamie Douglas. He is the Director of Marketing and Doing Good in the World for a company called Angelic Bakehouse, located in Wisconsin. Jamie started his career as a sports journalist and then transitioned into public relations and eventually into SEO, social media, and what today we call digital marketing. He has over 20 years experience, and one of the things that I love about Jamie is his philosophy of having to do something in order to understand it. In this episode, Jamie and I chat about public relations and the difference between how it was 15 or 20 years ago and some of the benefits that we have thanks to digital. Jamie also shares how Angelic Bakehouse turned to social goodness and helped serve 100,000 meals that were donated during COVID. We also chat about using video and platforms like TikTok and using Instagram stories for the win. Enjoy this episode with Jamie as much as I enjoyed interviewing him and learning so much. Namaste. Hi, everybody. Thanks for joining another episode of Social PR Secrets. And I am here with Jamie Dukles, and he is the head of marketing for Angelica's Bakehouse. And did I pronounce that right? Angelic Bakehouse. And Okay, Angelic Bakehouse. And you have been doing amazing things, not just at Angelic Bakehouse, but your whole career. And what I am, I've been digging deep in your history. What I love about your experience is that your very first, at least on, on LinkedIn, is that you started out as a journalist and then you were a PR intern and went into a little stint in public relations, which I think is just like an amazing foundation to where you are today. So can we start out talking about that and then kind of bring us to where you are today and what's happening? Yeah, Uh, sports journalism, sports PR, that was kind of my initial passion. I was sports editor of the Daily Cardinal, uh, fifth oldest daily collegiate paper at the University of Wisconsin-Madison. So I uh, started out in sports journalism, kind of pivoted to, to sports, sports PR, did that for a couple of years and you know, kind of living the dream as far as like, if you love sports, like I met every professional athlete at that time from like getting to like walk off Lambeau Field with Brett Favre to like help him <laughs> to an interview room to, uh, you know, meeting Michael Jordan. Got to meet a lot, a lot of athletes and, you know, be courtside to be on the field at games. So it was a pretty cool experience. And then I was like, you know what? I don't want to work 80 hours every week and I want to make some money. <laughs> yeah. You know, when I was, um, I have my degree is in public relations, but I was in the college of journalism when I was trying to pick what you had to pick from different categories. I really wanted to go into journalism, but kind of the same thing. It was just like not paying a lot. So I decided to go into public relations, but I feel like a, a mix of journalism with public relations is really a winning formula. So I, how did that work for you going from that journalism base to public relations? Yeah, it felt like a pretty you know, natural transition. You know, I knew, you know, knew what a, a journalism, and what a journal you know, person, like what they want to, want to do, you know, what a reporter wants to do. Um, and the reality with sports PR, I mean, they're falling over. <laughs> you would like get access. So it's a very different part part of PR, <laughs> you know, like I'm, I'm more a, a um, gatekeeper than a door opener. Like I'm trying to, you know, protect the athletes, make sure the athletes get put in the best light, like getting the media coverage isn't the challenge, just getting the right media coverage is the job. So it's a very, you know, niche part of PR, but I enjoyed it. And I enjoyed the opportunities where I actually like truly got to like, wear the more traditional, you know, media pitching hat, like to be able to like pitch ESPN magazine on an article. So 
national publications who won't cover like the Milwaukee Bucks as much. So be able to pitch them and you know have find an interesting angle of like, hey, here you know, do you know like we have the only player in the NBA who is from the Netherlands, Dad Gad's reach. Want to interview him? And to be able to like get coverage like that was, was always you know the you know the big wins. That's that was exciting to be able to get some of those in my time in PR as well. And I mean, a lot has changed since when since you were doing public relations. A lot has changed. Um, in the past five years in the PR world. So what are some of the um, biggest changes that you've seen, you know, now that you're head of marketing um, th- that you can do better with PR or that, you know, is maybe not available today? Yeah. I mean, from my initial time to, to now, I mean, it's, it's digital. <laughs> you know, like it's, it's funny to think of it now because everything is digital. You can't, can't not think of it, but you know, looking back in you know, late nineties or early two thousands, you know, it's, you know, it wasn't a, a digital world yet. Like athletes weren't on social media yet. Like social, you know, Facebook was still a early 2000, you know, talking about like, you know, a private company company that was only for college students. Like that, that's <laughs> what Facebook was at that, at that point. And I think MySpace was the primary social media. So to see how the world, you know, the world is changing and that, you know, now all brands do have their own platform, you know, via, social media and what, what they can do on, on blogs and other other formats, podcasting, you know, it's amazing what, what brands can do almost in this brand journalism sense for themselves and just all the very, very different ways you can make make connections in this in this world. So it's just, you know, it's a lot more complicated in one sense, but there's a lot more opportunities too. Yeah, I totally agree. And also um, one of the things that I've noticed just in, in the year, so I've been in you know, have had my own agency since it was, you know, really just pre-digital and traditional and then going through that transition and, and being able to right away kind of identify the opportunity with search and with Google and with Facebook and social media and how you can be, you know, your own brand journalist and you don't have to go through the journalist as the gatekeeper. It was just such a breath of fresh air, you know, just, I felt like public relations was everybody was kind of doing the same thing. Everybody was calling the same journalists and it just became nothing changed in PR for like 50 years or 75 years, you know, and now all of a sudden the past 10 years were this explosion of opportunity. Um, But as far as measuring, I mean, back in the day, measuring public relations versus today, how you measure, you know, how do you speak to that? You know, it used to be, at least the way I did it was like clippings, you know, we got this clipping, we have this, this clipping book. How do you see measurement with public relations today? Yeah, I mean, obviously now you have all the, the big digital tools and um, you know, me, when it kind of how I hold my PR agency accountable or, or PR partners accountable, you know, honestly, I do it more subjective. Like, I, you know, I want to see the, you know, all the impressions and, you know, but I'm really about, you know, the, I want the big, like juicy, meaningful hits. Like, you know, I want articles that are just about my brand that are like getting down into like, certain details of what makes our products special or, or unique. So I'm really more about the, you know, the quality than the, the quantity and really subjectively saying, yes, you, you nailed that one. And like, you know, just getting a couple of, of big hits throughout the, the year is what matters more to me. And, you know, I think also partners that find unique and clever ways to tell our stories. That's, that's always exciting too. It feels like a great one. Definitely. And I mean, speaking of um, media hits, I was just kind of, you know, looking up, what's happened in the past six months, like since COVID. And so you guys have made some great, very positive and goodwill headline news and the um, giving it away, is it a hundred thousand meals that you've donated so far or more than that? And, you know, tell us about how that came about because I mean, 
people sometimes forget that it's not all about the brand, that it's also about the give. Uh, agreed, yeah. So COVID has been a interesting and crazy time time for us. Our, our business has exploded be, you know, because of it. People are staying at home and making more meals at home. They're definitely buying a lot more bread for, for sure. So, and we're up at retail about 90%. Our e-commerce is up over 2,000%. And really for me in this time where I almost was feeling like guilty, like this, the, the world's falling apart, but like my, my, my life couldn't be better in one sense as far as like businesses exploding and we're doing really well. And like, it really was like, I felt a responsibility. Like we have to find a way to give back when we're, when we're doing so well and others are struggling, like we, we got to find a way to give, give back. So that's really where it came from. It came from the heart. And then I was like, what, you know, what can we do? And we developed this program called Loafu, where we have a, a donation loaf on our website. Anyone can purchase it. And then we match and donate another loaf. So that's every donation that's two loaves going to, to Feeding America. So I thought it was a great way for, for us to give back, a great way for our customers to, if, if they were just looking for, hey, how can I do something small to help those in need, they can contribute to it. So it, I love that it truly is a, a partnership with our customers and, and the beauty of that and how, how they've taken on that challenge and have been willing to help us donate more than we could on our own. And you know, the fact that now in a little over two months, we're able to get 100,000 meals donated to, to families in need is, is huge. And we're going to keep it going. I'm excited in the future to you know, look at other partners too, and not just Feeding America, but find other partners that, so we can donate to other, other causes or other, other areas. But we, we love it. We believe in it. And it's going to be a permanent part of what Angelic Bakehouse is. That's awesome. And one of the other things I was noticing when I just was looking at your, your history is that you, um, you've, you've really represented and worked within some amazing brands like Uber was one of them. And, you know, talk to us about like pre, you know, where you are today and, and how you, you know, besides the different brands and agencies and your experience and specialties is just across the board. So impressive. So it's not just, I mean, I see why you're the head of marketing because you have that vertical, you know, so many verticals that you've actually, you know, worked on the front lines with. Yeah. I think the biggest thing that's got me to where I am is embracing digital. So you're, you know, truly when it, when it came on board, cause I, you know, I started in the soft skills of, of marketing, you know, communication, PR, <laughs> you, know, mm-hmm. you know, writing. And I was, you know, mid twenties, you, know, you know, how do I go grow my career? You know, how do I differentiate my, my brand? And I was really struggling with it. Cause you know, a lot of what you have, have is soft, soft skills. It's hard on a resume to like put numbers down, how, like how you impacted change. <laughs> You know, in yeah. that in that role, it was it was honestly hard to compete and stand out. And like, you know, I knew it. I was frustrated. And I, as digital really became came a thing, I was like, I'm gonna embrace this, and I'm I'm gonna le- you know learn it from, you know, initially it really meant uh, Google paid search and SEO, like you know taking that that on in the in the early you know 2000s, and then so, you know social media as soon as like Facebook became public and there's brand pages like. You know, taking that on from from day one, and it's kind of fun to like grow my career. Just have my have my career start at the time when everything is blowing up, and to be able to be on the ground floor of like learning SEO when it was just becoming a thing. You know, same with like paid search when it was just becoming a thing, and then social media, and to know those now those all those systems intuitively and know the past history of of them. I think it really gives me an incredible knowledge set to continue to build and and know how those things all work together. So. The fact that I was willing to embrace digital now has helped get me to, 
to, to where I am. And now I have a resume that's full of, full of numbers <laughs> and full of great ways to show I have the impact and, and you, know, straight, you know, straight knowledge sets too, to be able to say, SEO, yeah, I know what that is. You know, like it's various softwares, you know, it's helped me differentiate and grow my career. And now that when digital is the thing, <laughs> it's, it's great to be in a leadership role and be able to use all these tool sets to, to my best of my ability and the best of the company's needs. Yeah, your story is very parallel and similar to, um, so the, the person that introduced us is Sarah Collins and Sarah started working with me at the buyer group right out of college. And it was right when, you know, SEO was just coming on uh, the kind of like the, the front forefront and social media was coming out and we embraced it super early. And I can remember the day when Facebook released Facebook for business pages and Sarah and I were like, get our clients set up right away. And, you know, back then you had to figure it out as it was unfolding. There wasn't a class to take. There wasn't, um, you know, Facebook didn't have Facebook blueprint like it does today. Yep. We were literally just, you know, learning on our own and sharing what we knew with our clients and applying it as best as we could to content to optimize it. Um, and I can remember, I, I'm interested to hear how you, you know, besides learning on your own, like I went to a conference called Search Engine Strategies and I felt like this, this was like back in 2006 or something. Um, and I just wanted to learn from my clients. I wanted to learn PPC and not get like kind of screwed over, let my clients get screwed over by people just taking advantage. And, you know, you, it just kind of was this like little, like, you know, this, nobody really knew. So started going to these conferences and I felt like, wow, I just got like a master's degree an MBA in the past three days. And I totally get this. And, what what was your did you have one of those kind of aha moments where you went to a conference or found a source that you really leaned on as as your continued education you know for for seo um i don't know if you know aaron wall but like it's seobook.com mm-hmm. so when i was like seo great another digital still said i can learn i bought you know his seo <laughs> seo book and like printed all all the pages and putting it in a, in a binder and like you know, learn, you know, learning it that way. And then I think ultimately like everything in digital, you learn so much by doing, like even, even when, if you, if there is a book for it or whatever, like the reality it's, it's going to change tomorrow. Yeah. You know, the only way to intuitively get it and, and do it is you gotta, you gotta learn by doing, it's gotta be immersive. You gotta get to live it every day because it will continue to, to change and evolve. And if you are living it every day, you're going to see it evolve. Like you can kind of in some cases predict where it's going to go. And that's, incredibly powerful too because if you're ready you know ready to go there when it's going there you know like things like instagram stories you know before instagram stories was, was even even a thing you know i, I knew it was coming i'm like I, I know the history of of what facebook is and and facebook doesn't invent most of social media it steals it yeah so, yeah you know, when there's snapchat and another, another platform that's stories based and it's blowing up I'm like oh it's only a matter of time before that feature ends ends up in facebook and instagram so I remember coaching my, you know, my team, like start, you know, start, even though we weren't on Snapchat, I'm like, start doing stories. Like, I don't think Snapchat's right for us, but guess what? It's going to come to Instagram. It's going to come to Facebook. And when it comes, I want to hit the ground running. Like I, I know that they'll put a lot of free organic views there because they want to grow it. So if we're ready with a content calendar and I know how to do it out of the gates, we're going to get so much free impressions, you know, so much free exposure. Yeah, definitely. I mean, the biggest wins that come when you really are able to, like you said, hit the ground running and, and get that 
take advantage of that organic opportunity because you know those are few and far between, as you know. What we, we used to get in Facebook, what we used to get in Instagram, what we are getting now in LinkedIn is going to go away from an organic standpoint and whatever. We have to see that what's that next opportunity coming. So um, speaking of that, what, is, what are some of your favorite, um, favorite things about social media marketing right now today in 2020? I'd say you know, platform-wise, I'm really heavily focused on, on Instagram. So I, you know, I, we have a whole you know brand studio here. We have a, on staff a photographer and a, a designer. So I, I, I love what, um, what brands can do to really you know build things in house and control things. And I you know really believe that's probably the best way to create a very consistent and powerful brand voice. So I, I, I love what the platform Instagram in particular allows with with it being so visually driven with photos and stories and and videos, and just taking that a challenge on and creating our content in-house and really developing a, a beautiful brand and another way to tell our story another way of like as a cpg brand to like truly connect with our cu customers and then like you know it's a lot more powerful than a, a, a tagline or some 15 second ad you know that every day we're, we're really adding to our brand voice and like this rich tapestry kind of format how do you feel about facebook ads today um i'll all they care about more than anything else is they still, they still perform for me. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, uh, you know, there's a lot of things about the Facebook platform. I, you know, I, I don't like, you know, from, you know, from the politics to some of the things I, you know, dirty deeds, I believe they, they've, they've done. And there's plenty of articles out there, you know, about that. And, and I think a lot of choices where they've chose, you know, money over doing good. Um, so I've a lot of, you know, personally, a lot of mixed feelings about, about Facebook, but, as far as a, a marketing tool, um, it's incredibly powerful. You know, the, their, their algorithm and their ability to like find the right people for you and, and make things happen. And you know, in our case, particularly like our, it's help, really helping to grow our e-commerce. So it's, it's a reality where like, you know, you can't ignore the, the power of what it can do. So I'm gonna embrace it as long as it performs. Yeah, I agree. I mean, from a marketing standpoint, it's, um... You know, it's one of those can't can't really live without it as part of your arsenal. Um, and the fact that, like, I don't know if you've heard of the Facebook portal, but we have a Facebook portal and, you know, sitting on my kitchen counter. And even when I'm not talking, using it, I'm sure Facebook is actually using it to, like, find out what I'm talking about, you know, in my kitchen and serve me ads that I'm going to like. And I kind of like, I would rather get ads that are useful. So from a marketing standpoint, I love it. But from, you know, the whole, like, kind of weird privacy thing. It's a little annoying. Yeah, no, yeah. Uh, if most consumers knew how little privacy they, they have right now, I think they would be scared. Like there's a, I think it was a New York Times article probably a year ago now that said there's over 200 apps that like have access to your, your full location data and they're either using it for themselves or selling it to a third party. Yeah. You know, which is incredible. Like literally like, you know, now, you know, in, in advertising, I can go out, you know, I can partner with one of those mobile location companies like Factual and be like, tell me everyone that's been to this location in the last six months and serve an app. Yeah. You know, it's crazy creepy that things you can do and the lack of privacy you, you have in this world. Yeah, I was just um, listening to uh, a Facebook continuing education, Facebook advertising um, course. And one of the things that was brought up was just that if you have the Facebook app on your phone, that 
in your email on your phone that basically Facebook is reading all of your emails. They they can see everything that you know you're talking about to everybody. It's like wow, you know, crazy. Um, one of the other things I was reading on in your LinkedIn is just your um, your experience with video, and I'm just curious where you you know what are some tips that you can give when it comes to the use of video from a marketing standpoint, and you know maybe some do's and don'ts based on your experience. Yeah, my biggest tip is well, two, and they're very simple, but they're they're critical. Have good lighting because you cannot easily fix bad lighting in post. And, and have good sound, the, the, sa the same kind of <laughs> kind of things. Because you know, if you want a, a good video, you, you need quality, quality lighting first and foremost, and, and good sound. Unless I suppose if you're at a place like social, where it tends to often be, you know, sound off environments. But outside of that, like you, you better get those basics right and, and dialed in, or you're going to have poor, poor video. And I think be willing to have a level that's acceptable to you, like you know. It doesn't have to be perfection out, out of the gate. I think learning by doing is good, but do have a minimum, a level of acceptability because crappy video, no one wants to watch it. And you know, it's not gonna make your brand look look good. So find what is a reasonable, acceptable level, whether it's looking at your competitors and what are they doing or, or other um, aspirational brands, you know, find a, a level that's acceptable in quality and then continue to strive for, for higher, higher quality and, and learn by doing. But I think if you, constantly expect perfe perfection, you're, ne you're never going to jump in. And at a certain point, you need to, to, to jump in and decide whether it's something we can take on, on site. I think you know, knowing your limits is good too. Like if, if you just can't do it on your own, great, you know, find a partner. And in today's world, I mean, you can go on LinkedIn and like I know a bunch of people here locally in Milwaukee who like, you know, they have their own little video shop you know, and, that's, and that's all they do. So like finding cost affordable video partners is, is not hard in today's world either. So. I think there's, there's truly no, no excuse whether you want to do it yourself or find partners that you really can get into it and discover the power of video. Definitely. So how is video working with your content calendar today? What are, can you share some of the strategies, the way you're using videos with your brand? Yeah. Um, I think we look at all different aspects of video. So we, we create just fun, basic gifts that can really be, be eye-catching eye and great for social media ads or just social media content. So we try to, you know, work, work those, those on a regular basis. And then a lot of the, our other video really is recipe focused because it makes sense for, for what our, our brand is. And we're actually right now in the middle of a, a big project, we're looking at taking out of our existing recipes and have this master list of all these other recipes we want to create. And we're going to create a ton of new recipe content, including a ton of, ton of video. And just knowing, yeah, that how that video can live not only on on social media and stories, but also it's a permanent asset to be part of our, our recipes uh, on our site, and then have it on YouTube and all the schema uh, recipe SEO and the, the power of YouTube as far as a, a visual search engine. You know, we're, we're excited like all the ways that this recipe video lives and grows and becomes an a evergreen long term asset for us. So, just for um, people that might not understand or that you know the terminology the schema seo can you just kind of go into that and how you use it for recipes like for example with pinterest is probably one of them but maybe just yep. basically yeah yeah there's there's 13 different categories of it it's i think it's called like you know, micro data whatever that google's discovered they they see as valuable so they, they've called it schema and you can go to schema.org to learn more about it and it's just like any other part of part of seo it's it's you know 
instead of a, an H1 tag, you know, in this case, it's like, it's the recipe name, mm -hmm. you know, so it's defined fields that if you put this tagging onto your, your site, you'll then potentially show up on Google. So when you're on Google and you search recipes and there's a whole recipe section and, or there are just recipes showing up and they have like details, like you see the star rating on there or you see an, an image, all those things are happening because those companies have chosen to put the recipe schema on their site and detail everything out from like cook time to prep time to the, you know, the author of the recipe to the rating, all these little fields and you, you put them on your, your site with your recipes and then you have the chance to have that rich content serve up right on the first page of Google. Yeah, it's, it's awesome. Definitely. So if you're a brand that, you know, you're publishing recipes or recipes is part of your content strategy, definitely look into that if you're not already doing it. And um, speaking of recipes also, are you doing anything on TikTok with recipes? That's a big, you know, kind of one of the big um, types of content that's working really well. We, we are as well. Uh, we started a TikTok account a couple months ago and that's an area where I've just given my, my team like freedom to play. I'm like, just find, find things to do. And yeah, yeah. recipes is, is one of them. And what I love about what we're doing on TikTok is then we find out like, okay, what more can we bring over to, to Instagram stories too? Cause like there's, there's no reason a lot of that content can't live on Instagram. So it's, I think it's pushing us forward and innovating in, in ways we probably wouldn't otherwise without it. So I, I love that. We actually had a meeting today. I kind of, termed brand brand entertainment like in this these COVID times I love what a lot of brands are, are doing from like you know Mondelez just had a virtual prom with Steve Aoki you know just finding what kind of more brand entertainment and it sometimes can be simple is like drilling down into stories and just having like funny clever stories that entertain your your customers and bring in new new fans and new customers so it's something that yeah we love to love to do and are trying to grow. Definitely, definitely. And one of the things where, you know, we work with some of our clients on if they don't have the resources to experiment on, let's just say TikTok or, you know, when it was Snapchat, you know, back in the day when that was the, something to do. So um, it's just using the power of influencers on TikTok and let, letting them, you know, get your brand the recipe attention. Are you doing anything with, with influencers in, as far as part of your marketing? Yes. Also, uh, we have an ongoing influencer marketing program. So we have two things. One is a brand ambassador program and those are currently six month arrangements. So we sign people up, they post for us every month. They're also meant to kind of be you know, an always on advocate. So they're, they're commenting and engaging in our content. If you know, people are talking about relevant topics like recipes, they bring up our, our brand. So we have, we have that and then we just do basically a product review program. So for, for other influencers when we're not, you know, in a um, active cycle of bringing on more, more brand investors, we offer a product review program where it allows us to kind of, you know, try before we buy on both sides. Mm -hmm. So we give them a couple, couple products and we're like, yeah, just give an honest opinion or an honest, honest post about it. So that's a great way to you know, bring in more people. Um, it's definitely incredible for our content marketing. We, we definitely use a lot of our influencer content with, within our social media. And it's, it's great to build up that library and make our lives a little easier. Yes, for that, sure. The content struggle is real. It's, daily. it's real. <laughs> yeah. So it's, it's nice to have that, that library built up. And we're lucky too that we um, use a powerful software called Aspire IQ. Not only does it help us find influencers, not only help us metric wise, you know, really truly exceed, you know, things like a cost per engagement where like 
yeah, someone with 100,000 fans is probably going to get you more, more impressions and more total engagement than someone with 10,000. But what's, you know, what's the true cost per engagement? So based on what you're paying them, how many engagements do they get you? So I love to be able to apples, apples compare influencers. It also serves as a um, digital asset management. All of our influencer content is stored there permanently. <laughs> so it's great that we don't have to like take, you know, immediately try to like save stories or like, you know. That's great. You know, pin things or highlight things. It's, it's all just stay, stored right there for us. And it's a, incredible because we're, you know, also you run into a thing like, oh, this photo shoot we're trying to do, it just didn't work out. And you can, you can run to our um, Aspire IQ and quickly grab something we hadn't posted yet. Like, Great, cool, we got to solve, we got content. <laughs> so do you, do you look at influencer marketing um, as uh, the, a public relations strategy? I, you know, I don't think we've done, I think it can't, it certainly can be, you know, uh, you know I don't think we've done a, a, a ton there. I mean, I would say in a, a sense, it definitely is a, you know, overall, you know, relationship strategy. It's like, you know, a great way to like have other people tell your stories for you, which is just like, just like the media yeah. doing it. It's great yeah. to have other people doing that. So using it in that way, I think there's probably, probably more we could, could explore, honestly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so I know we're a little bit like going over the 30 minutes, but I just wanted to ask you a few more questions just about Angelic Bakehouse, the brand, as far as, you know, today's, consumer is very focused on health and wellness and nutrition, especially with COVID now, everybody is, you know, trying to protect themselves from their immune system to everything. So how does, uh, how does Angelic Bakehouse fit into that? Yeah, I think the thing I'm most proud of is we're uncompromising. And for us, that means two things. It's using all the healthy, good ingredients we, we believe in and we know you should, should eat and really being that steward of helping you make sure what you go goes in your body truly is a good ingredient. And we're not trying to trick you like things like buying our non GMO wheat from, uh, from farmers in South Southeast, uh, Montana, where we're like, we know these guys and we, we know they're doing things right. And it's glyphosate free. So I people not know, but like the majority of, of wheat and oats out there are sprayed with roundup glyphosate and it, it's once you spray it there, it's, it's in the, in the food. It's, you know, one of the worst things you can put in your body. So it's important that, you know, we have incredible sources of our raw, raw ingredients. So we're putting great, great things in our food. And the other part is it has to taste great too. So we, we don't want to just make like, Hey, this is the, the, <laughs> the best thing ever for you, but it's going to taste bland. Mm-hmm. You know, it's critical that it also tastes great. So that's, that's truly the foundation of all of our innovation is that we always want to have great tasting, healthy food out there. And, and when you do that and you need you to consistently across your portfolio of products, you know, you become a brand that people can trust, a brand that really, really means something. And then it's great because you bring someone in on one product and you know they're going to naturally go to other, other products because they have a brand they can believe in. So when you build, you know, a brand that stands for something, it really becomes powerful and scalable. Definitely. And so I looked on the website and where I could buy it near me and where your brand's near me. And so you, you sell at Whole Foods and Fresh Market and a couple others, but you also have a physical location in Milwaukee. Is that correct? Uh, uh, technically, like, so in our plant, you can't, pre-COVID times, you could come in and buy, oh, okay. and buy, our, buy our product um, here at, at the manufacturing plant. So okay, in, in a sense, yes, but yeah, it's, um, it's right more now, no. something we do for the community than anything else. Um, mm-hmm. You know, we all have aspirations of like, wow, it'd be cool to like have an onsite cafe, 
here and maybe one day we will, but um, I got a lot more building to do before I get, get to that task. Yeah. Well, it looks like you guys are doing an amazing job just getting the word out and, and doing good. So any social PR secrets, words of wisdom, like what would you give to digital marketers that, you know, might just need a little bit of a, you know, the wisdom that you have, the years of experience, like what, what would you, what are like maybe the top three things that you could offer them? Sorry, on, on what topic? Social, just social PR, mixing social, social media and public relations or just digital marketing in general. Yeah. Um, one thing I really believe in with, with social media is don't, whatever category you're in, don't judge yourselves by, you know, your competitors. Find aspirational companies and judge yourself by that. Because I've, um, and both, you know, in, internally and, and uh, on the consulting side, I've seen so many like brands claim like, well, we're, but we're the best in next category. And I'm like, that's nice, but uh, candidly, you're, you're crap. <laughs> like, go, you know, go look at Starbucks feed, go look at, you know, Target speed, like, yeah. you know, aspire to more. Don't aspire just to be the best in your category, especially if your category is pretty poor. And it's pretty amazing in CPG, how many brands have still not to this day embraced social media. Like they, they have accounts, but you're like, man, I, I would cringe if I was managing that account. It's just, it's, <laughs> it's full of stock photography and it's, it's awful and it doesn't stand for anything. Yeah. Or the only way is up <laughs> if you haven't, if you, you know, yeah. you can only go for improvement. What are some aspirational brands that you turn to? That for inspiration, so yeah, things like yeah. I mentioned, so yeah, St- Starbucks, uh, yeah. Target, you know, we even get inspiration. Like we were just stuck in there, a meeting we had today, um, Bon Appetit, you know, we're just like looking at, at some of the things they're, they're doing. So it comes in, in all, all forms. Um, so, you know, sometimes I'll just go over certain hashtags and see what's going on on those hashtags. But what it, are, I definitely um, believe, believe in overall and is constantly challenging yourselves to, to get better, to, you know, to be iterative, to get, to get better and ne- never assume in anything you're doing that you're doing it the best way. If you assume that you can do it better, you, you will be better and you'll challenge yourselves to, to, and typically too, you don't have to reinvent the wheel. You know, in this digital world, you know, find brands that are doing it right and find your twist on it. There's nothing wrong with that. It'll allow you to move a lot, a lot faster and a lot smarter. Definitely. Uh, where do you, how do you keep up with everything that's going on and all the changes that, you know, with Facebook and in the digital marketing world, what are some sources that you rely on as your credible sources? Uh, I, one, I think just using the platforms, I, you know, I, I, at this point, honestly intuitively see a lot what's going on just by using the platforms, you know, looking at what the ad creative is. I, I actually like don't really use social media personally that much. I'm actually like sc- scrolling through looking for ads or looking for brand content. Yeah. I know <laughs> more the than feeling. Anything else. And then I'm immediately thinking like, you know, why did they do that? You know, like, yeah. you know, and, and what's the clever hook? Like, Oh, like, Oh, they, they did that. Like, cause man, that would have stopped my thumb. And why did it stop my thumb? How can I, how can I apply that? So that's really how I, I deploy it. Um, it's incredible also how much I learn from LinkedIn. Like a, a lot of the articles I read that I end up loving, like, oh, I'm so glad I read that, come from scrolling LinkedIn. So it's not something I did, did years ago, but the last couple of years, I, I really find myself actually like opening up LinkedIn and just scrolling through the feed because I'm thankfully following and connected to so many smart people and they're thankfully sharing these great articles that I think, you know, my best RSS feed or, you know, source of like great articles often is, you know, LinkedIn. And I also purposely will connect people that I, I don't know, but I respect because I, 
you know, I actually want access to their feed more than anything else. Like I want, I want their content in my feed because they're going to make me smarter. Yeah, definitely. Do you believe in certifications when you're hiring, you know, for your marketing team or, you know, looking for to outsource? Does it make a difference? Do you look at that as far as like, you know, okay, this person is qualified and this is why, how can you tell? You know, it's, 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 you can really doctor up a a LinkedIn profile today. Yep. Yeah. It it depends by you know, by the channel, like, you know, the Google certifications, I, you know, I believe in, in those and like, you know, at, you know, AdWords and those, some of those other programs, they're, they're pretty tried and true. Like they're adding new things, but like the majority of what they have is, you know, is there. Yeah, other, if it's some kind of third party certification, it honestly means nothing to me. Like I, you know, I don't know what was involved in it or what you truly, you know, learned, but if it's certified right, you know, right from the, the company like Google, I believe in those, you know, Facebook to a little bit, but also, I mean, Facebook, I feel like, it's so much um, left brain, right brain. You have to be able to have the, the, the creative mix, and, you know, and the technical know-how and a piece of paper is not going to tell me if you have it. <laughs> a conversation will. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And one last question. So how do you, how do you keep yourself strong and less stressed in 2020? Uh, first off, I'm, I'm thankful to have a great job. Like I'm thankful to have a, a busy job that really, helps <laughs> keep my mind off a, a lot of the things it could be on. So I'm, I'm thankful for, for that. I have uh, a great wife and two young kids at, at home. So I, I have a pretty full life. Like free time is not a, a luxury I, I truly have, which is, is probably good because, you know, in the times I do have free time, I, I think I do get anxious, whether it's about the world or about like, hey, it's summer. Like I want to do all these things. Oh, but 2020 is canceled and I can't do all these things. So I think, you know, just have, you know, having that and the perspective it brings is probably the, the biggest thing, you know, above all else. And I think also then realizing that even though it feels like this is never going to end, it, it truly is a moment in time. And, it, you know, this too shall pass and try not to get overwhelmed or sucked into the moment and just realizing, yes, this sucks, but we're all in it. And, you know, just take a breath and try to move forward. Great. That's great advice. Well, Jamie, thank you so much for joining us. And where can where would be the best um, social channels to follow you and and Angelic and Yeah, so for, can... for me personally, uh, LinkedIn uh, by far is the the place that I live and breathe professionally. So I, I welcome anyone to connect with me. I, I'm definitely open to connecting with great marketers. Uh, and then for Angelic Bakehouse, we're you know we're everywhere. Um, Instagram is is. Instagram and Pinterest, I'd say, are the heart of, you know, of what we do socially, but we're on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Pinterest, YouTube, <laughs> and now TikTok as well. Great. Yeah. Well, well, we'll definitely follow you and we'll go buy your products in Whole Foods and Fresh Market. Yep. And follow you on social. You it, if you give it a try, you, you know, that's the biggest thing for us is we deliver unexpected good taste. You look at our label and you're like, I know it's going to be good for me, but I'm cringing at what it's going to taste like. And you taste it and you're like, wow, it actually tastes great. So that's the beauty well, of it. Exactly. Your inst- your Instagram feed was making me want to just go out and buy it and make all those recipes because everything looks so good. So good. Then we're, we're doing good. something right then. Yeah. Right. Yes, definitely. Definitely. Well, thank you so much, Jamie. Namaste. I really appreciate it. And if we will catch up with you, hopefully in another episode. Great. Thank you for your time. Okay. Bye. Bye.
listening to this episode of Social PR Secrets. If you like what you heard, check out the book on Amazon or follow our blog at socialprsecrets.com. This episode was sponsored by The Buyer Group, a social PR agency striving to keep our balance in the digital world, practicing public relations, social media, and search marketing, while occasionally drinking a glass of wine or two for the best creativity and results. Thank you all for tuning in. If you would like to get a free chapter of Social PR Secrets, go to socialprsecrets.com slash free.